Even had an altar call I'd have come up, I think. It didn't matter what it was. It was very inspiring. Very inspiring. I was inspired by that. You should have just got money off the person next to you. He said, listen, I'm inspired. Give me some money to give, you know. <laughs> How many of you ever saw the movie Braveheart? You enjoy that? Man, I enjoy that movie. I love that movie. Isn't that great? Oh, I just love it. There's so much in it that's just got such a great message, isn't it? And uh, just so many things. And I, like, I like the one where they, where they all line up, all these guys with their kilts and the bagpipes. And he says, we're going to pick a fight. Oh, don't you love that? Going out to pick a fight. It's something Christians don't really want to do, do they? But uh, we want to look at that tonight. And uh, this morning I was sharing with you just about the metron that God has given you, the area of influence God has given you. So now what we want to talk tonight about picking a fight with the devil. I want to just talk to you about that because people say, why would you do that? Well, simple, because something has got a hold of the blessings God has promised you. And if you want to grow, advance, increase, enlarge, you've got to choose to pick a fight. You've got to choose to stand up. So we're going to just have a look in the Old Testament. I had this thing bubbling away in my heart this morning, and, and I thought I've got to look into this and see what I can get out of it. And so I want you to open up with me in uh, Joshua, in the book of Joshua, in the Old Testament. The book of Joshua. So we were sharing this morning about how every person God has measured out for you a area of responsibility, a sphere of influence that's unique for you. No one else can do anything about that area of influence. You have to decide to rise up and begin to start to bring the power of God, the life of God, the promises of God into that area. And we saw it encompassed, uh, your metron encompasses your thoughts. Well, your thoughts are your thoughts. No one can help you there. You've got to decide to do something. And we saw that in the metron, the, the garden or area that God gives us, we're all required to cultivate it and to engage the enemy if he tries to steal from us. And that was where Adam failed. He failed to engage the devil when the devil came like a serpent to steal away what God had given to them. And there's a tremendous lesson in there that you and I are required by God to participate in advancing his kingdom and in obtaining promises. They just don't fall on your plate. How many have noticed that? How many notice it just does not fall on your plate? Hey, this building doesn't just fall on our plate. Huh? No, they didn't just fall on our plate. We had a battle. We had a mighty fight to get it. And, uh, and what happens is that uh, there is a natural realm, and the natural realm is influenced by the spirit realm. Spirit realm is subject, and natural realm is subject to the words of God. So I have to learn how to change my world around me by accessing God in a personal way. Religion can't do it. It has to be personal, and you've got to decide you will change what is around you. I can remember standing outside, little building we're in up in St. Auburn Street, St. Auburn Theatre. I was standing outside it. My dad came to have a look at it, wonder what we're doing, why we'd given up a school and a church and all this kind of stuff to be here. And you could see him shaking his head. And I said, Dad, do you see this building here? I said, this will never hold us. We will break out of this building. We will fill this building. We will overflow this building. It will never contain what God wants to do in this place. And I could see him shaking his head, but I could see what could be. And we had, I don't know, about 60 people by that stage. That was it. But all oh, we had God. 
and we had determination to break through. And I want to share with you something from the Old Testament. Now, remember what you've got to, what you've got to do is you, as we look at this, God is trying to get you to see some of the ways he operated with his people, and then you're going to learn to actually apply it, what he expects of me. I tell you now, nothing comes to people who sit around, and that's true everywhere in life. So there's sometimes you've got to step up, and I think God's saying step up, begin to go out and do something. Here it is, verse 2 of Joshua 18. There remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance, and they had not got what God said they could have. Uh, They'd not got what they were entitled to. They hadn't got the breakthroughs they were entitled to. They hadn't got release from things. They hadn't got the things God said they could have. The Bible will tell you what God says you can have. Does God want you to prosper? He certainly does. Is it possible for Him to help you prosper? It certainly is. Is it happening? Well, that's up to you. And if it's not happening in various areas of your life, You don't be condemned, but you do have to receive this challenge. They had not yet received what God had promised to them. And so Joshua said to them, Joshua, name Joshua means Jesus. Jesus spoke to them. This is what he said. How long will you be slack to get up and go and possess it? That's not not a bad way to stir up the people of God, is it? How long will you be slack to go and begin to obtain what God said? That's what he's essentially saying. Uh, he said, how long will he be saying? How long will you be passive? How long will you sit around waiting, hoping something will change? How long will you look and say, oh yeah, God's got great things ahead for me, but do nothing to obtain it? How long will you sit on your thumbs, hoping someone somewhere is going to do something that'll change your life? That's what he's saying. He's really quite direct with them, isn't he, eh? How long will you be slack to go and possess the land which God has given to you? So the inheritance, when the Bible's talking about inheritance, what, he, what you've got to see is this. God took them out of Egypt, a place of slavery. Before you and I came to Christ, we were in slavery, not to Egyptians, but to spiritual powers. We were held in sin. Then we came to Christ. Then he took him out of there. He said, now I want you to come into encounter, experience. I want you to come into a new dimension of knowing me. That's what we're called, and you get saved, come into an experience and knowing God. Then he says, that's not where I want to leave you. I have things for you to accomplish. I have promises for you to possess in your marriage, in family, getting a spouse, your children, every area of your life. I've got things that I have prepared for you. I have got something I want you to do. Here's the issue. Will you arise and possess it? Now, the problem was that the land where God said, that's your land, I've given it to you. The problem is it didn't look like it because it was full of uh, armies of uh, soldiers. It was full of people who, uh, who actually were very, very cruel people. And so when God says, I've given it to you, implicit is in that, you've got to step up and fight to get it. And you will never see God bring you the breakthrough until you decide to step up and fight and possess what God says you can have. And the moment you step up to fight, you enter a spiritual conflict and a natural conflict. You've got to decide, that is who I am. That's what I'm born to be. I'm born for this kind of thing. And you say, if you're not, well, how come the Bible says, greater is he in you that's he than the world? How come the Bible says the same spirit that raised a dead man, Jesus Christ from the dead, is in you to empower you, give your life. You need to get into the Holy Ghost and begin to start to get a different mentality and push out. 
So we're going to get into some things you have to look at. Tonight we want to get you to do something at the end of the meeting. That'll be good. How about that? So God, whatever God says you can have, you've got to advance and get it. When we came here, God said a lot of things about what he was going to do. But you know what? I had to fight for every bit of it. Now you're sitting in an office with 10 people in the church, thousands of dollars of debt, everything about to go down the tubes and hope something good is going to happen. Every day for week after week, we fought in prayer to get breakthroughs. And we engaged spirit forces which stopped the breakthrough. And then, suddenly, it all started to break out, left, right, and center all over the place. Wonderful, see? So notice how long you slack to go. The church is called to go. We have to initiate action. Now listen to me. Listen to this. There are people in your classrooms, people in your school, that God has sent you to get them saved. How long will you be slack to go do it? I don't want to do. All right then. Well, then you need to say, I need, I, God has called me to do it. I'm going to do it. When my time in school is over, there'll be people whose lives are eternally changed because I was at that school. So you've got to think that way. And then you've got to convert it to some kind of action. And I want to just start you down the line of thinking that. We've got a prayer meeting coming up. I want to get everyone into praying and pushing for growing, for reaching out. Notice what he says, how long are you slack to go? We're called, the church is never called to come and sit. It's always called to go. Go means you go and initiate something wherever you are. And this morning we were sharing how every person, every believer, you are an ambassador of God. You are sent to turn up somewhere and make something happen. Just rattle it a bit. I'll show you how to rattle things a bit. One of the best ways to rattle everything around you is to really get into strong faith praying into that area. We'll show you that God describes exactly what to do at the beginning of the battle. Then you've got to go out and get engaged. So here's the thing. Number one, I need a vision. What's possible? Do you have any dreams? What's possible for your life? You look at your classroom, look at all those kids in there. They've got problems. They're cut off from God. Broken families hurt, this kind of thing. Who's got a vision for anyone to get saved? If you don't have a vision for your friends to be saved, you're missing one of the major reasons God put you there. And it doesn't matter where we are, if we don't have a vision to see the kingdom of God advance and things around us change, we've, we've, we actually haven't caught a hold of why we're there. We're there to change it. We're there to make a difference. You are, wherever you are, called to make a difference. Okay, so we need a vision. We need faith. What has God said is possible for me to do? What has God spoken to me could happen? What could happen in my class? What could happen in my school? Listen, I was a young Christian with, with almost no teaching, no Bible training, but when I got into a school situation, I said, man, I've got to make a difference here, and I got to listen to what God told me, and God told me to do some things in the school to shift spiritual atmosphere, to begin to start to engage the powers of darkness, and to stir up a fight. That's what I did for weeks. Walked through the school. I used to walk through it at night. Can't do it if you should. I was a teacher, so I got the door key. So I walk through and begin to begin to speak and begin to declare, begin to speak the word of God over everything in there, begin to stir something up. Yeah, it did stir up too. I had all kinds of things happen. <laughs> it's good, see? You've got to have a militant attitude. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. Can you make a difference? Yes, I can. Can I make a difference? Yes, I can. You've got to start to think, can I make a difference? Yes, I can. Right? You've got to think that way. I can make a difference, but I won't make a difference sitting around. I've got to engage spiritually. I've got to engage physically. 
and relationally. Got to engage at two levels. Nothing comes to you if you don't get engaged in both areas. And then I've got to actually do practical things. What do I got to do to shift this? So I'll start you off tonight on something you've got to do because the Bible says this is how it gets done. And everywhere I've seen God move, it all seems to be a similar kind of deal. Now let's go into Judges chapter 1 where they started and they picked a fight. And you find now, it says here, verse uh, 1, now Josh, uh, Judges 1.1, 1, 1. now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who will go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I've delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come on up with me to my allotted territory, my metron, what God said I can have, that we may fight against the Canaanites. Then I'll go with you and help you in your allocated territory. He said, great idea. Then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and Perizzites and into their hands. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. Whoa. And they found Adonai Bezek. And, they, and, and they, they, they started a fight. They deliberately started a fight with this guy, and they defeated him. And he tried to run away, and they didn't just content themselves with just him running away. They pursued him. And when they caught him, they grabbed him, and then they cut off both his thumbs and both his big toes. That's not very nice, is it? There's a reason for that. I'll show you why in a moment. And uh, then it says, and Adonai Bezek said, Oh, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. And what I did, the Lord has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. So I'm just going to open up a few things on here for you to have a bit of a think about. Now notice this. The question is, Joshua has died. Jesus has died on the cross, risen from the dead, gone into heaven. And now he's saying, who's going to go up and do something? Because the last thing Jesus said is, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to go and change the world. You are called to be a nation changer, but it starts with your little bit of the world. You've got to change it. And so who's going to go up? Who will initiate a fight is what it really means. Who will be first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? That word fight means to feed upon. Isn't that an interesting thing? So they're saying, who will go up and feed upon these people? Do you realize that God left enemies there so they could grow in strength and learn how to fight? Do you realize God has left spiritual powers around so you can feed on them, you can grow in strength, fighting them and defeating them? Do you realize it's the privilege of every believer to tread devils underfoot and to gain victory and dominion over them and to show the powers of darkness that even young believers can make a difference? It brings honor to God when he can look down from heaven and say, Yay, did you look at them? 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And look at what they're doing. Look at the difference they're making. They're changing that whole school. They're changing that community. Devil, do you see 15-year-old? Look what they're doing. Look at that. You understand? brings honor to God. The church is called to display the wisdom of God to the spiritual powers, to show that walking with God in your generation is a smart thing to do. Not a dumb thing, it's a smart thing. Time will show you it's smart. Most people don't connect what they did over here with what's happening down there, but time proves it's smart to walk with God. Real smart, real smart to follow God. So who's going to pick a fight? And the Lord said, so God gives direction. He said, Judah will go up. Now you notice here, who is going to change? How is the status quo going to be changed? And you notice that two people get together, or two tribes come together. And the tribes that come together, the first one's Judah. The word Judah means praise. The second one is the tribe Simeon. Simeon means to hear. 
or having heard God. It came from when Simeon was named, when uh, his mother was in a tremendous struggle, and she said, God has heard me. So I want you to think of two things now, praise and hearing. Praise and hearing. Let me just throw a few thoughts out for you. The first thing is that praise, when we give ourselves to praising God, praise is a way we create a spiritual environment in which the presence of God comes. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, you are enthroned. You begin to come and inhabit the environment with His praise. He does not inhabit an environment of depression. He does not inhabit a place where you've got heaviness all over your life. When you've got heaviness on your life, you have no breakthroughs until the day you decide, put off the heaviness and begin to praise the Lord. Speak, sing, pray in tongues, build an atmosphere around your life where heaven can manifest itself. So one of the first things in changing what's around us, I must change the spiritual environment personally I live in. I must create an atmosphere of praise. I must create an environment where the words I speak, where the praises I give are creating room for God to move. The interesting thing is, why Judah? Why was that one first? We have a look. Caleb, the only old guy left, came out of Judah. Isn't that interesting? David, the greatest king in the Bible, came out of Judah. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is always important. In other words, if you're going to have in, if your life is going to count eternally, you have to develop in your life the capacity to praise and change the atmosphere around you. You have to do it. You have to learn to stand up, speak out, determine to speak in tongues, determine to release words, change the atmosphere, honor God so His presence comes around you. It's about having and carrying the presence of God. You get the idea? You are called to carry His presence. But to do that, you've got to build an environment in your life where you worship God, you engage God, you, per, you pursue His presence. Why? Because that's one of the major things that make a difference. And so consistently through the Bible, Judah had a very prominent place. This is what God says about Judah in, uh, in uh, I think it's Psalm, in, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 78. God said, Judah, God chose the tribe Judah the Mount Zion, or the dwelling place he loves. God loves it in the midst of a conflict when you can step up and say, I might feel like hell. I might be going through hell. But I tell you what, my God is alive. I believe he'll help me. And I today praise you before the battle's even finished. It's what they did in Jehoshaphat's days. They praised the Lord and the whole environment changed and they got a huge breakthrough because it activated angels. It activated heaven when we do things on earth. So one of the key things to understand, I'm going to change what's around me. I have to change, first of all, the spiritual atmosphere that I carry by strongly engaging with God. Now, it's interesting that the only old fellow left here was Caleb. And in, jo- in Joshua, this is Caleb. This is what Caleb said. He said, he said to Joshua, Joshua's alive, he said, you remember what God told me. You remember the word he gave me, that that mountain full of giants will be mine? Well, here I am. It's going to be mine, and it'll be my descendants. He said, I'm 85, and I'm still strong as an ox. I still see well. I got a sword, and I can fight well. And God said I could have it. I will have it, even though I've I've had to wait 40-plus years. And this is the day I want you to deliver it to me. And they said, whoa, we like your attitude. You can have it. 
It's no wonder they said that tribe had better go up first. They got a really good leader. God liked Caleb's attitude. The rest of the people had an attitude. Oh, it's too hard. Giants, it's difficult. Oh, we can't do it. Oh, what's going to happen to me? You read it, number 13. That's what they're like. They complained. They sat down and cried all night. Oh, it's so hard. And all of them died. What they said, they got. It was too hard and they died. But someone stood up and said, if God is with us, we can do it. We can do it. He said, be quiet. God is with us. They are bread. We can eat up the giants and get stronger. Now, see, he had an attitude. I'll show you something. That attitude is characteristic of the tribe of Judah. A militant, assertive, God is with us. We can do it. The second thing, as you notice there, was Simeon. Uh, Judah coupled with Simeon. That's interesting. Simeon. Why Simeon? Well, hearing, look at this, praise alters the atmosphere around you and brings God to you. But get this, hearing God makes room for the supernatural to flow, the power to flow. In Galatians 3 and verse 5, it says, how does God do miracles among you? How does he minister the Spirit through you? How does he do this? Is it because you're goody people that come to church? No, he didn't say that at all. He said it's by the hearing of faith. So believing and listening and hearing God is the key by which I can actually operate in power. You want to prophesy? You've got to hear God. You want to move a word of knowledge? You've got to hear God. You want to see supernatural? You've got to hear God. So if I want to engage the areas in my life or around me that should change, First, I've got to engage and build a spiritual atmosphere where I am competent and experienced, continue the presence of God. Second, I need to start listening to God, what to do, how to do it, where to go. That's how Jesus said. He said, I do what I see the Father doing. So if you just go down and try and initiate something, usually you get knocked back. But when you start to listen to what God says, He gives you the ways to do things. He gives ideas. He shows you how to get a breakthrough. You're looking and you're saying, they'll never get saved. Well, you got saved. I got saved. People looked and said, he'll never get saved. My wife's parents said, he'll never get saved. Give him up. That's what they said. Here I am. Someone didn't give up. One of Joy's uh, family friends, she just prayed for me. Prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. One day she came to Joy's mum and she said, it's going to be okay. Stop worrying. He's going to be saved. How did she do that? She heard God. And what happened to me? I never chance. <laughs> Didn't have a chance, really. I remember sitting on my hands trying to stop coming up in an older core thinking, no, no, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. I won't want to go up the front. But I did. Got saved. Got changed. Got God. Made a difference. See, it can happen to you. It can happen to the hardest of people. Having the hardest bit. I saw one guy, he was, he was transporting me down in Wellington, and man, he was covered, a big Mary fellow, covered with tattoos, and he had a lovely heart, lovely spirit. And I said, tell us about your testimony. And he immediately told me his testimony. He said, big fella, big tough fella. He said, oh, he led one of the local gangs. I said, oh, yes, yeah, right, what'd you do? He said, well, I was, we were dealing in drugs. He said, man, I was buying and selling drugs. My missus was buying and selling drugs. Man, we had this real thing going. And he said, when I got into jail, I was carrying on doing it. And my missus got saved. She gave her life to Jesus, and she didn't want to do this anymore. And she was terrified to tell me, but she said, I was getting such a hard time in the prison. He said, one night I got in my cell, and he said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. He said, God 
began to touch me. She said, I don't want to happen. All I know is I broke down and wept and wept and I met with Jesus Christ. I felt his love. The bitterness went out. The anger went out. The hate went out. I changed. And not only that, I no longer engaged in fights in the prison like I did. He just began to talk about how his life changed. Get this, about the same time he got saved, his wife got saved. She came, she was scared to tell him she's given up all the drugs and she's not going to drug deal anymore because she got saved. And he, he, when she did tell him, she said, well, I just got saved. The Lord met me last night in the prison. I'm a different person now. And now he's fully involved. He's working rehabilitation of people. He's helping people. It's all possible for people to get saved. It's not without a fight. There'll be someone somewhere is praying. Eh? So we've got to hear from God. That's how we get the change. That's how it takes place. That's how it shifts. Now, once you go down here, so we see then, if I'm going to initiate change in my life, in my finances, in my home, everywhere, one thing I must do, I have to do this. I need to ensure I have around me an atmosphere of God, which I build with personal prayer, worship, praise, engaging God. Secondly, I've got to listen and begin to get promises, words from God, direction, what to do. All right, now, I want you to see what he did. Now, what they did was they went down and picked a fight. Don't you love this? Went down and picked a fight. And uh, oh, I, I was talking to a guy. Actually, he used to be here. And he was over in America, and, and I met him over there, and, and uh, his whole life fell apart. And uh, you know what he did? He went, down, he went down to one of these areas, and, and he went down to one of the pugs. It's in a black area. And he began to abuse everyone at the bar. He wanted to pick a fight. And he was yelling and shouting and whatever, and he wanted to pick a fight, and no one would respond. He would have been killed if he'd stayed there. They'd have pulled a gun out and shot him. But he said everyone was afraid of him. And here he is, the only white man in a pub full of black people, shouting and abusing at them and yelling his head off and drinking alcohol and wanting to pick a fight. No one would no one take him on. And, and in the end, he just left. He met one of the guys there later. He said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. He said, I was really out of my tree that night. And he said, and, and the guy said, yeah, I could. You were crazy. He said, we were all scared stiff of you. The, and we rang the police. <laughs> There's a crazy white man down in the bar trying to pick a fight. They just laughed. They didn't believe us. So we just lay quiet. We just didn't. Isn't it amazing? And anyway, he's changed now. He's got free of that. But listen to what they did here. They went and picked a fight. They found Adonai Bezek. That means they went down to pick a fight. Look where he was. They wanted to find. Now get this. They wanted to find what is the source of our problem, how can we challenge it? They went looking for the problem. They went looking for the block. They went looking for the guy. That word Adonai, Bezek means the Lord of lightning bolts, or it was actually a, uh, a false god they served, a Baal god of worship, a god of the weather, and this guy was the, was the Lord of it. He was, a, he was a ruling spirit in that area. This is what they went. They went down, and they didn't just engage him in battle, but what they did was they pursued and pursued. When he ran, they kept going. They did not settle for a breakthrough. They actually decided, I don't want a breakthrough. I want this thing to change totally. Many times Christians just look for a breakthrough. And what you need is a total change. I always want a breakthrough in this area. No, no, no. What you need is a change in your whole lifestyle. And so to do that, you've got to make a decision. I'll war against the thing that's blocking me personally or the thing that's blocking the advancement of what I want to do. I will war against that spirit and I will contend with it and then I'll do things that will bring about a breakthrough. And not just a breakthrough, I'm going to pursue. In Psalm 18, it says, David prayed, he got a breakthrough, and then he pursued, beat them down. Now, what he's talking about here is not people. He's talking about spiritual beings. 
And you notice what he did. He cut off the, they cut off his thumbs and his big toes, uh, and uh, he's, he was humiliated. Now, when you cut off the thumbs, the guy can't hold a sword. When you cut off the big toes, he can't run away. So he can't fight. He can't run away. What does he do? They did, now, why didn't they just kill him? Well, they wanted to humiliate him. And he said, oh, God is in this, because I've humiliated many, many people. I made him sit under my table and eat the food scraps like a dog, scrabbling on the ground to get a bit of food. So what is this talking about? It's actually understanding that God wants you to not just get a breakthrough. He wants you to humiliate the enemy by the size of your breakthrough and advance. See? And so to cut, off the, the, to cut off the thumbs meant to stop or to, to prevent him being able to fight again. Now, I've discovered over the course of years that one of the reasons that people get into trouble in their life is they've got sin issues, they've got emotional issues, they've got stuff they've never resolved that gives demons a chance to come in and afflict them and hold them in bondage. So if you want to disempower a demon, cut off its thumbs, what you need to do is disempower what they use to get access to you. And the Bible says... At the cross of Calvary, Colossians 2.14, Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers, cut off their thumbs, cut off their toes so they can't run away, and delivered them over to the church. So what you're fighting against are demons with thumbs cut off, with toes cut off, and all they can do is bluff you into believing they can hold you in bondage. Most of what is holding you back is just a thought in your mind, an emotion in your heart, or a belief in your heart. And if you would just declare war on it and arise, you will change what's going on around you. And you change it permanently. The reason things aren't changed permanently is because the root was never addressed. The root problem. So some of you tonight are struggling with issues in your life and they keep coming and coming. They go away, then they come back, they go away, they come back, they go away, they come back. And what that is, it's an enemy coming because you've never picked a fight and pursued it until you'd won a decisive victory and held the place of victory till there's no more trouble in that area. You're no longer coming up, Jesus, I'm so sorry I did this, I fell over in that area. Jesus, I'm so sorry I did this. You're saying now, Praise God, I got a victory in this area. Oh, I'm going to help someone else to get free now. I'm going to have that demon so humiliated, so defeated under me, he's going to watch while I set others free. You understand? Now, that is the kind of attitude to get. Some of you got unforgiveness in your heart. Well, why do you got unforgiveness in your heart? The devil just grew thumbs and toes. The moment you repent and you cut off that thing in your life, you cut off his thumbs, cut off his toes, he can't get access to you anymore. You have to decide whatever holds you back has got a name. Name it. Find out what the root is driving it. If you can't find that out, get some help and then declare war until its power breaks. And then keep it that way. And you change in your life. So many times... In so many churches, people come, they continue to got the same problems because they never go pick a fight and deal with that thing. And I can remember in my own life, there was a point where I heard uh, Clark Taylor say, if you knew by dealing with that, your life would change forever, would it not be worth picking a fight? I thought, that makes sense to me. And so I went home and I began to identify 
what in my life was resisting me moving forward, experiencing God, hindering me doing things, and what was continually against me. I gave it names. I looked and asked the Lord to show me where it came from and how to deal with it. And then I engaged it. And then one day I felt it snap and go. And I've had an experience and walked in that ever since. It's how, that's how it works. Otherwise, if you won't own your life, something else will. You either own your life and what God called you to do, or something else steps in and takes it over, and then the devil just grew some thumbs and toes, uh, and you get a bit of a hiding periodically. Not all the time, but just every now and then. What is it? Fear? Is that what's got a hold of you? Rejection? Loneliness? Abandonment? What, what is it that's got you? What is it that's stopping you? What is it that's holding you back? Try and get a name on it. Now you've named that thing. Now go for it. Learn it. Get someone to help you. Address it. Fight the thing till you've defeated it. And cut off his toes and cut off his fingers or thumbs. And then you can, you can just humiliate him. And he watches you, who he once threatened and intimidated, walking in victory, changing other people's lives. So what is it over the lives of your friends? Why don't you pray and ask God? Listen to God. Let God show you what it is. And then every day, stand up in prayer. Start to praise God. Build an atmosphere for God with your praises and declarations. And then begin to start to stand against and take dominion over that thing. In Jesus' name, I break your power. I assert my authority. This classroom belongs to me. This classroom is the area God will move. I release the presence of God, angels of God, to move in that, uh, that place. Then you get involved in it, talking to people, reaching out to people, befriending people, doing the practical things needed. And I tell you, something will happen. You will stir up a fight. So what happens when you stir up a fight like that? Oh, things get a bit, a bit tough for a while because a fight is a fight. When you pick up a fight, when you decide, I will contend against what controls those people and I'm going to believe for their souls, they get a bit upset for a while and don't worry about that. Just keep doing what you're doing. I remember one guy showed him what to do to deal with stuff in his family line and affecting his whole family. Come back a week later, he said, ah, it didn't work. I said, what do you mean it didn't work? He said, everything got worse. I said, oh, give me a break here. You, you, tell me again, you were praying and it got worse? Keep it up. You're nearly there. We had a, uh, a situation a week ago, and I'll just finish with this now, and then we'll pray. For, we'll get everyone up and get doing some stuff in the prayer. Here's the thing. I was in, and I prayed for this. She had this lady come up. She's really limp, and she's got all kinds of pains in her body. And, uh, and uh, so I said, I'd love to pray for you. So I prayed for her, and she got worse. How about that? And everyone, all these pastors got mad at me because I got this lady out of a seat, got her up the front, and now she's worse after whatever I did. Somehow it seemed to over be overlooked, that I was actually praying for her, asking the Lord to do something, speaking into the thing wrong in her life to come right, and it got worse. Now, that's a fight. I went and picked a fight. And, of course, then you feel a bit embarrassed because it's got worse. I said, well, this is great. If it got worse, that means I'm in a fight now. Let's go for it. So I just said, there's a spirit of infirmity. We cast it out. She was immediately made right. I think everyone was quite shocked. So what is it that's stopping you? What is it out there that you need to declare war on? What is it you've come into compromise with? You know, in the book of Judges, the thing that happened all the time was they just compromised and accepted, hey, we'll leave these guys here. We won't worry them and they won't worry us. Then they'd always go back into bondage. Listen, if you leave your, your school unaltered, you don't make a decision that God put you there to change some things. What's there will affect you. God called you to be the prevailing force. 
how am I can do that? Well, get some advice and help, but start to pray. <clears throat> start to speak. Start to declare. Start to stand up like you're the lion of the tribe of Judah, and this is all food for you to grow. Get in pairs. Get with someone else and come into a place of agreement. We're going to have change in this place, and we're going to pray till it takes place. And we're going to do some practical things. We're going to initiate some things and see what God does. Otherwise, you'll just be, well, it's another person that was in the yearbook, and there's a photo there, but they never made any difference. They were just there. Or you could be someone that say, whoa, what was going on in that guy's life? Boy, things happened around them. You choose which it's going to be. It's your land, it's your class, it's your area, it's your life, it's your issue. What are you going to do? Will you let the enemy stay there? How long will you be slack to go up and pick a fight and make a change? That's what God wants you to do. That's what God's saying right now. Pick a fight with the thing that blocks you, stops you, hinders you. It's not a person. It's not a circumstance. It's a spiritual force, a belief system, an emotion, a sin issue, an attitude. Go pick a fight and determine you're going to break through.